Anybody remember that? My buddy from the 80s? I, um, I think about him a lot, that my buddy, when I think about the way that many of us treat Jesus in our culture. We, we, we often treat Jesus like that. We trust in Jesus and we have this idea that now wherever I go, he's just going to go and he's going to bless. Whatever I do, he's going to go and he's going he's gonna to bless it. He's going to support it. He's good with it. He's, he's kind of like my executive assistant now or my, my butler, or, or my chauffeur, or, or maybe my you know, security guard. He's powerful, he'll protect me, but at the end of the day, he reports to me, and, and I don't report to him. That's how many of you, people don't say that, you know, they don't consciously say that, but uh, that's how many of us act. We trust in Jesus, maybe even get baptized, and now I expect Jesus to give me the life that I always wanted, to give me the comforts, the pleasures, the ambitions that I've always been chasing after. And then we get uh, upset often when he doesn't do that, when he uh, starts to flip upside down other things in our lives. So we've been in our series, as told by a scoundrel, we've been journeying through the book of of Matthew, and um, last week we ended a six-week focus on Jesus' miracles, the authority that he has over the curse, sickness and disease and demonic oppression and and fear. He demonstrated his authority to forgive sins, Um, and now we're going to turn a corner and we're going to look at some other themes, Um, and today what we're going to be looking at is how Jesus flips upside down our expectations, our expectations for the nice, comfy, easy American dream life that many of us have. Um, We're going to be in Matthew 8 and 9 today. We're looking at two passages and three encounters. Two passages, three different encounters within those passages. And uh, what we're going to see is is that Jesus doesn't always fulfill the expectations that we we have of him. Um, The title of today is called, If It's Real, Everything Changes. If it's real, everything changes. We'll be in Matthew 8, 18 to 22, and then Matthew 9, 9 to 13. So two different, two different passages, three different encounters with, with, uh, with Jesus, that Jesus has with different individuals. This title comes from a conversation I had with my dad the other day, actually. We were talking about how when somebody uh, trusts in Jesus, and, and they're, they're, they're now following Jesus, um, if it's real, if, if the Spirit of God has done a work in their hearts and they've been forgiven and they've been born again and they've been adopted into his family, if it's real, then whether they know it or not at the beginning, everything's going to eventually be changed. Everything's going to be changed. Everything about their life. They, it might not happen all of a sudden. It didn't for me. Um, but slowly and surely, God will change everything. How we uh, view our finances will change. How we date will change. How we uh, deal with conflict will change. How we, how we deal with the sex will change. Everything will change if it's real. And, and we see that demonstrated in these encounters that Jesus has um, 
in these, two, in these two passages. And I want to just especially encourage those of you who are getting uh, baptized next week. I think there's four, possibly five people getting baptized next week. Uh, maybe, maybe more if you've trusted in Jesus. Baptism is the first step. Baptism is the first step of obedience, the Bible says. It's a demonstration of, of, of what he's done. The old you has died. He, Jesus is living his life through you now as you rise up. That's what it represents. It's a declaration that my life belongs to him. So it's not, it's not the end of the journey. A lot of people say, I've trusted in Jesus, but I want to clean myself up first before and get my act together. It's not it. It's not like a college graduation. It's more like the first day of kindergarten, right? It's the beginning of the journey. It represents my life. Is, he's he's going to take me on a journey. I'm surrendered to him. He's going to complete the work he's started. Um, but it's also a symbol that whatever, whatever dreams and comforts I've been pursuing, uh, they come secondary to him. They come secondary to him. And so I want to um, kind of uh, lay before you some ex- expectations you should have if you're if it's real, if you're a real Christ follower, if it's real, some expectations that we see in these passages. Others of you might realize as we go through this that you're actually not a Christian and you thought you were. You, you might actually realize like, oh, snap, I'm just kind of a cultural Christian. I've been saying I am because my family is. Or, you know, I like some of the stuff in the Bible. I, I kind of, you know, take some of it as advice. I guess I'm not a Christian. And you know what? Um, that's a, it's good to know that, if, Right? good to at least know where you're at so then you can move forward from there. And then finally, those of you who are Christ followers and you, you've been on this journey, this might be, just be a really important reminder for you because our default setting is to drift into, uh, come on Jesus, why aren't you feeling, fulfilling my expectations? Why isn't my life coming together the way I want it to come together? So um, at that, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Yeah, Jesus, you are the, uh, you're the king. You're the king. We sang about that. We, we took a while this morning to really just remember and declare that. You're the king. You're in charge. Remind us that the life you have for us is better than whatever plans we have for us. You want us to have joy in you more than we want to have joy. You are after our fulfillment. But it, call, it calls us to lay things down. There's a cost. There's a sacrifice. There's us dying to things. God, I help, uh, help us to take that seriously and, and to trust you. To trust you, even if we don't know where you're taking us in life. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. All right. All right. So let's, let's jump into the first passage. Matthew 8, 18 to 22. Here we go. When Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. So again, this is in the middle of two chapters filled with miracles. So he's getting a crowd around him because they're seeing the miracles. And like, yo, I like this guy. I want to follow him. I want to hitch my wagon to this guy. He might be the Messiah. He might be the one who's going to usher in that kingdom. He's from the line of David. The kingdom that David had years ago. I think this is the guy who's going to usher in a kingdom like that now. So their crowds are forming, but Jesus is like, I'm moving on. I'm going to the other side of the lake. I'm going to another town. And naturally, uh, there's individuals who want to be his disciple, like the man in verse 19. Look at verse 19. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
I'll, 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 I'll be your disciple. This was, this was typical. Jesus was a rabbi, so I, I want to I wanna follow you. I want to follow you around. You're, you're popular. You're influential. You clearly have this power. Now, it's, it's very likely that what this man expected was for Jesus to come in as a political ruler and to overthrow the Romans and to restore, again, the, 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 the dynasty from King David for Israel, to win back the country for God, to you know, bring back our traditional values, that kind of thing. Sound familiar? Anybody? Right? That's what they expected of Jesus. Give me back my safe, secure life. That's what I want. And, and many of us, we, we want to follow Jesus because we want Jesus to give us what we're really worshiping, which isn't him. We want him to give us back our security. We want him to give us that American dream life, the suburban life, the comfort life, the pleasure life, the career ambitions that we want. He, we want him to give us the, the sports success, whatever it is, the, the romance that we've been desiring. That's what we want. Jesus, I'll follow you so that you can give me the stuff that I really worship. And Jesus stopped the man. Verse 20, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So he calls himself the Son of Man. That's, he's, 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 that's a reference to him being the Messiah. It's a reference to the prophecy in Daniel and the Psalms about the anointed one, the Son of Man coming on the cloud. So he's, he's not denying that he's the Messiah. But he's saying, I've got nowhere to lay my head. This world is not my home. He was literally going around from place to place, house to house. He didn't have his own home. He wasn't settled down. And he was telling this man, you want to follow me? That's what it's going to mean. You're not settling down. This world is not your home. The goal isn't to set up your nice little comfy, you know, one and a half acres. To have a big fence where you can barely see your neighbors, so everybody leaves you. That's not the goal here. So point number one, if it's real, Christ followers don't expect this world to be their home. If, it's, if you're getting baptized next week or you're considering it, this is what you're declaring. This world's not my home. I'm following a Messiah. I'm following a Savior. I don't always know where he's taking me. And sometimes it means I'm going to be laying down comforts. Now, he gives us things that we want, for sure. He gives us aspects of what we might call the American dream, for sure. And when we have them, thank, thank God for them. But just remember, they're sandcastles. They're here, you enjoy them, and then a wave comes and knocks them over. Now, we don't, if we cling too tightly to them, God, we're going to get angry at them. We're going to get angry at God, taking away something that he didn't promise us to have in the first place. He might call us to give things up in order to follow him. That in, our, in our natural mind, we're thinking, there's no way God would call me to do that. But yeah, yeah, he might. He, he might. He calls people to move to different countries that are dangerous. Jim Elliott was a missionary who, who went in the 1950s uh, to, to a tribe to bring the gospel with a few others. And people were warning him, don't, don't do it, don't do it, it's dangerous. And he said, I, 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 why should I cling to what I cannot keep when I can gain what I can't lose for the kingdom of God? And he died, him and his buddies, they were killed. Um, I think it was 1955 or 56, I, I didn't have this in my notes. Um, but then years later, his wife went back and, and brought the gospel, and that tribe ended up converting to Christ. 
because seeds were planted back then. Now that's a big example, a small example. It might be you have $500 to buy a new refrigerator that you really want because it matches everything else in your kitchen. And the old one still works, but it's dingy and it looks like crap and you want a new one. And then you hear about a family that you're raising money for, maybe refugees, and you think, oh, I want to give to them, but i got to get my new fridge. And Jesus might be saying, hey, give up that new fridge to support this. Those are little moments where God calls us to, in our, in our natural mind, we're so quick to say, no, 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 God wouldn't, I'll give God the leftovers. I'll give Jesus the leftovers, my extra time, my extra money. I'll volunteer if I have a little extra time, but Jesus might want to flip everything upside down. We shouldn't assume that God's always after the most comfortable path for us. He's always up to something for our good, but it's not always the most comfortable path. All right, let's, let's, keep, let's keep going. Verse 21, another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? He's like telling the guy don't even go to his dad's funeral. But that wasn't exactly the case. Um, what was most likely happening was that the father's getting older, maybe sick, maybe not. And this guy's saying, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you. I just need a few years. I need some time. I got to fulfill some family obligations. Once my dad dies, take care of that, wrap things up, you know, get his inheritance. Maybe I'll sell off those assets. Then I'll be prepared and ready to follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Let the dead bury the dead. What's he saying? Those who belong to the world are spiritually dead. Let them deal with the worldly obligations. But you, you follow me. If you're serious, if it's real, you drop everything. And that's the second point. If it's real, if following Jesus is real, we will drop everything to follow him. We're not going to put it off. I did that in high school. I put it off. I was like, you know what? I'll get serious later on. I want to have some fun now. And then we do that in college. And sometimes we think, you know, once I get married and I get some kids and the kids need a little religion then I'll take my faith seriously and later on I gotta get my career set up first and Jesus is like listen if it's real if you're sincerely after me drop everything you drop everything it doesn't matter what you're doing you drop it to follow me none of those things that, that you might be involved in are, are bad but if they're keeping you from following me drop it to follow me let it go is this mic? Should I switch? Is that better? All right, just, just give me the thumbs up if I need to switch. Um, okay, where was I? Um, yes, verse 20. Yes, yeah, so yeah, so uh, let the dead bury their own dead. That's 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 the call of the of us of our, of disciples. That's the call of disciples of Jesus. That we're not going to cling to worldly obligations if they're going to get in the way of following Jesus. Now we're going to turn to Matthew chapter nine, and we're going to see an example of somebody. So presumably, these two people did not follow Jesus. I'm switching. 
Sorry about that. It was distracting to me. Can't imagine how distracting it was to you guys. Okay, so Matthew chapter 9 is an example of somebody who actually is going to follow Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to verses 9 through 13. Verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, Matthew is Matthew who wrote Matthew, right? So this is where Matthew meets Jesus. He's telling his own story here. This is that moment. We started off this series by, by explaining who Matthew was. The reason we called this series as told by a scoundrel is because Matthew was known by his fellow Jews uh, as, a, as like a scoundrel, as, as a, 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 one of those guys that you don't really want to hang out with, that you don't want your family hanging out with, you don't want your kids to be like. That's who Matthew was. He was guilty of two things. He was guilty of, number one, uh, being uh, a sympathizer with the oppressive Roman government. He was a supporter, a sympathizer of the oppressive Roman government who had taken charge by pillaging and raping all the other nations. They had taken charge. They had earned this peace through violence. Um, and, and, and now they are uh, uh, taking taxes from the people that they're oppressing in order to pay for their army that would oversee this big empire. And so in order to tax them, they needed tax collectors. And, and people like Matthew said, hey, I'll help you collect taxes from my own people so that you can continue to oppress us, right? So he was, he, was, he was a sympathizer with the terrorists, with the oppressors, with the corrupt government, number one. And number two, he was a scam artist. He was a, 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 a dirty, shady IRS agent taking extra money that he didn't need to take. So if Michael owed, you know, the, the Roman government $100, uh, he'd say, hey, Michael, you owe $120. And he'd give the 100 to the Roman government and he'd take $20 off the top and put it in his pocket. That's kind of what tax collectors were known for. They were uh, very um, deceitful, greedy, and, and probably smart. Matthew was probably a smart guy, a deceitful guy, and a greedy guy. Um, and I would imagine that when he starts off in his career, he was a young guy when he's following Jesus, so somewhere when he starts, decides to go this route with his career, I would imagine that there were family members and friends who tried to warn him and say, Matthew, what are you doing? Like, bro, don't do this. Don't go that route. Don't, don't, don't chase money. Don't, don't, don't go that route. You're going to disgrace our family. But Matthew did it, and I'm sure eventually those close to him said, ah, what are we going to do? You know, you could lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink. And so we got to put up boundaries around, you know, we can't let him come to our family parties, or if we let him come, we got to just make sure he doesn't stay long, doesn't influence the kids. I'm sure parents whispered to their kids, hey, don't be like Cousin Matthew. Don't be like Cousin Matthew. Don't end up like him. Right? That was Matthew. And, I, and, and, and then I, I, I kind of imagine that by this point, that this day, this particular moment, Matthew has been feeling discontent in what it, the choices he's made. He's feeling discontent. He's feeling like, man, this, this isn't doing it for me like I thought it would. The money, it's not doing it for me. But I don't know how to undo the decisions I've already made. My family already, my own people feel like I'm a scoundrel. How do I, how do I undo this? I'm stuck. And then Jesus comes along. And he sees Matthew. He catches his eye. And Matthew sees him. And, and, and then it says this in the next verse. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. That's why I think that Matthew was feeling discontent, because he gets up and follows him. 
Something was rumbling in his soul already. And he's like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. And Jesus comes along, this rabbi, and invites him to follow him, to be a learner, to be his disciple, to come along. This wasn't just a, hey, we're going over there. Come over, join us for the day. This was a moment. This was a, this was a crossroads for Matthew, for Jesus to invite him to follow him. And Matthew gets up and leaves behind his old life. This is his opportunity to leave behind what he had been chasing, but presumably was not making him happy, was not fulfilling the longing in his soul. And he says, man, i got to lay this down. i got to lay this down. Uh, anybody watch the show The Chosen? There's a scene, if you probably saw it, those of you who just raised your hand, where Jesus encountered Matthew. I asked the tech team to, to play it. This is maybe how it was, how it rolled out, how it played out. This is how the, the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? So those first two people in Matthew 8 didn't lay everything down, and Matthew, Matthew did. Matthew did. He was a scoundrel, but he saw something in Jesus, and he said, yeah, I'm going to give it all up. I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to stop pursuing the life I've been pursuing, and I'm going to go with this guy, and I have no idea where my life is heading next, but I'm going to trust, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to follow. And then they go back to Matthew's house, it says, and they, they have a bit of a celebration. The, the next verse, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, 
Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So they're having a, a bit of a party, and Matthew's friends are there. You know, Matthew, if he's a tax collector, if he's kind of a scoundrel, he's hanging out with scoundrels, right? And, and so they come to be at this party with Jesus. They have an opportunity because of Matthew to now be introduced to Jesus and to have an encounter with Jesus. Oftentimes, it's the people who are first following Jesus, who are new to following Jesus, who have the best opportunity to invite other people to follow Jesus. Once you've been a Christian for a while, you tend to hang out with more and more Christians and less and less with people that you might deem scoundrels. But God wants us to continue to hang out with scoundrels, right? He wants us to continue to hang out with scoundrels. Now, obviously, there's boundaries at times that are needed to make sure that they're not influencing us. Um, but the goal is to say, hey, I've met, a, I met Jesus, and, and I want you to meet, him, to meet him too. And that's what Matthew's doing here. But the, the religious leaders don't like this. So the next verse, in verse 11, it says, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They don't like this whole party that Jesus is a part of. They don't like that Jesus has um, invited Matthew to follow him, and Matthew's friends are all hanging out now. They're bothered by it. They don't like it. But in verse 12, Jesus hears this, and he said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, that's interesting. Jesus doesn't defend Matthew. He doesn't say, hey, guys, guys, you're being a little too hard on Matthew. He's got a good heart. He's made some poor choices, but he's got a really good heart, really kind guy. Jesus doesn't do that. He, he says he's sick. He just calls him sick. But he says it's the sick who need a doctor. This guy is sick, and he's telling the religious leaders that God's heart is for the sick. God's heart is is for those that we tend to deem as sickos. That's who God comes after. That's who God loves. That's who God is pursuing. And, and oftentimes those are the ones who recognize they need a Savior. And those who believe that they are healthy, well, they're the ones who are going to reject Jesus, ignore Jesus, or, or treat Jesus like that, my buddy doll. I'll believe in him so long as he blesses my path. But it's the sick who realize, oh man, the path that I've been doing, the, 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 the path that I thought I was in charge of ain't working out so well for me. And they're more likely to embrace Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. Healthy people don't know they need a savior. Sick people recognize it. And, and the doctors, they hang out with the sick people. Doctors don't close themselves off to sick people. Doctors don't shut the door and say, hey, only the healthy people are allowed in my office. Doesn't make any sense. Or I only hang out with other doctors. And that's what the religious leaders were doing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not God's heart. God's heart is for those who are sick, for the tax collectors, the scoundrels, the, the sinners. Now, yes, he will call those scoundrels to lay down their lives to follow him. You leave behind your old life. You drop everything like Matthew did. But his heart is for the sick. The religious leaders wanted, again, like most people, a political Messiah, a, a Messiah who would validate their positions against the Roman, validate their, their disdain for Gentiles, they wanted a Messiah who will condemn who they condemn. 
And Jesus is flipping that expectation upside down. Still too many. Jesus is, is we, we want him to, to be a good example that we follow at times as long as his advice to us is convenient. We'll reject the advice that's inconvenient. And we want him to condemn who we condemn. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. I mean, these guys are looking at Jesus, hanging out with Matthew, and they're so angry about it. How could this rabbi, who many think is a Messiah, how could he be hanging out with them? He's going to validate their behavior, and he's a threat to them. Think about who you've condemned recently in your head, maybe. Think about it. Think about it. We all do it. Maybe it's people you work with. Maybe it's somebody that you're married to. Maybe it's somebody you live with, a family member. In your head, you're just like, I can't believe it. They must have some kind of mental illness going on to act like that. Right? We say things about them. We, we, we talk about them. Maybe we post things about them on social media. Maybe it's another group. Maybe it's people who voted this way, people who voted that way. I see it. I see stuff on social media. Right? I see the stuff that gets posted, the disdain, the vitriol, the, the, the condemnation. People who think like this deserve blank. Think about it. Think about who you've condemned recently. The scoundrels, the people that you've deemed sick. Let's assume that you are absolutely right. They are sick. Let's assume you're right that they're sick. Your coworker, sick. Your spouse, sick. Your family member, whoever it is, they're sick. That, that, that political ruler, let's assume they're sick. What would Jesus say to your thoughts or your posts? What would he say? Would he say, absolutely, you're right? Or would he say, hey, it's the sick who need a doctor. It's the sick that I came for. It's the sick that I love. It's the sick that I'm pursuing. And if, I'm, if I belong to Jesus, if Pastor Chris belongs to Jesus, then guess what? I'm, I've been sick too. And if you belong to Jesus, if it's real, then you recognize that you are sick too. And you're still being made well to process. And so to be so quick to point the finger and condemn others, it actually shows us that we don't truly understand the mercy that God has shown us. The next thing Jesus said Verse 13, this is the end. But go and learn what this means, he says to the religious leaders. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, he's quoting the Old Testament. They know this. They know the law of Moses. They know the prophets. They know that this was said. And then Jesus quotes it to them. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. The sacrificial system, he wasn't condemning. He wasn't saying there was anything wrong with that. Jesus came to fulfill the sacrificial system. He's the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So to offer sacrifices meant, it should have meant, that you were approaching God with a heart that knew you were a sinner before a holy God and you were desperate for his mercy. And too many of them were going through the motions, offering sacrifices, but didn't have a heart that understood how merciful God had been to them, and therefore they weren't showing it to others. So when Jesus said this to them, he's like, don't you get it? Don't you get that you are sinners before a holy God, and every breath you take is him showing you mercy? And you need to be willing to show that mercy to others. And when Jesus saves us, and we become adopted into his family, and we're born again, oh, how much more should we be overflowing with mercy towards those who we deem sick? So that's the last point, number three. 
If it's real, Christ followers are merciful to the sick people who offend us. We're merciful to them. That doesn't mean we don't call things as, you know, call, call, call out sin. But we do it because we're concerned, because we have compassion. We don't make jokes, snarky jokes about them. And that, again, that includes celebrities and political leaders. They're people. And if you think they're sick, we pray for them. We don't make silly, goofy, critical memes about them. That's not what Christ followers do. We got to cut all that out. Because it, it, shows, it shows the world that I don't truly understand the grace that's shown me. We look, like, we look like the religious leaders when we do stuff like that. And that's not doesn't reflect the gospel. It doesn't reflect the good news that Jesus died and rose again for us. It shows that we believe that I, I, I earned a position of morality, and now I get to point finger down at everybody, everybody else who I think is sick. So if it's real, if it's real, everything changes. We're willing to give up our expectations for the comforts and the pleasures that we were pursuing. We're willing to drop everything and not put it off and say, all right, Jesus, if I'm at a crossroads here and you're saying to go this way, I'm going to drop everything to follow you. And it means we're going to overflow with mercy for the people that offend us or bother us or are different from us. We're going to end with communion. Communion, we're remembering Jesus' death. We're remembering he paid for us. Um, I, I want to just, um, be, before we do that, remind you guys that next week is a baptism. And so if you've trusted in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, that's your next step. If it's real, baptism is a declaration. My life is his. He paid for it. My sins are forgiven. And my life is his. And everything he shows me, to, everything he puts his finger on to show, hey, I want you to lay this down, I'm going to lay it down because I know he wants what's best for me. But why don't we call the band up? We're going to do one song, but before we do that, we just want to, we want to receive communion. Can we stand? If you didn't get the elements, um, you can raise your hand, and the ushers will put that in your hand. If you are um, not a Christian, not a Christ follower, and don't feel any pressure to do this, we don't want anyone to go through religious motions. But let's just think for a moment. Is there anything that God's calling us to lay down? Is, is, there, is there a crossroads for any of us, like, like there was for Matthew? When I was 19, I was pursuing a, a dream of filmmaking. And I got to a point where I said, Jesus, that's it. I don't need to do this. I want you, wherever you take me. Shortly thereafter, he put his finger on how I was partying with people. And I was like, mm. he was like, okay, now that's got to change. I was like, oh, man, okay. But I just wasn't enjoying it anyway anymore. So that changed. How I was dating girls put his finger on that and he's like oh, this, this has got to change too now it's like, okay 
Okay, money came. Well, money was hard. Money was hard. I didn't want to start taking significant portions of my income and giving that away. I didn't want to do that. I didn't trust him with that. It took a while. I was fighting him on that one. But eventually there wasn't any peace until I let go. I said, okay, all right, my money's yours too. My money's yours too. Years later, I um, felt called to come back to help start a church in New Jersey. I was living in California. That was one of the hardest things. My life was really good. It felt secure out there. And Jesus was like, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you'll find it. That was a year of wrestling with him. So it's just one thing after another. There's always these moments where Jesus calls us, hey, I got something for you, but you got to be willing to lay this down. You got to be willing to let this be changed. So if, if there's anything like that for you, just, 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 just take a moment and identify that. And if there's any person or group that you've been condemning, identify that too. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask him for the grace to be merciful. Ask him for the wisdom to know what mercy looks like. Because on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body given for you. And then he took the the wine and he said, this is my blood. Pour it out. New covenant. When you drink, do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? Stuff that we talked about today, that he purchased new life. That whatever we lay down, it's worth it. That whatever we die to, it's worth it. He died so we could die. And he lives so we could live. So let's, let's receive the, the cracker together. And let's receive the juice together.